British Major General uh, Richard O'Connor decided he was going to attack the Italian army station that was located in Egypt. So at the time, the Italians had a, 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 a stronghold in Egypt, and uh, the British decided that, that, that they actually wanted that, right? What made this attack so extraordinary and stand out above the rest is that uh, the British just had a handful of troops. I mean, they were in the thousands, but they did not compare to the 250,000 Italian soldiers that were stationed in Egypt at the time. Um, Connor attacked anyway, and after it was all over, the British, the, the Britons only suffered less than 2,000 casualties. And in the process, they destroyed 10 Italian divisions. They took 170,000 prisoners and captured 400 tanks and over 850, we call them big guns. But there was, you know, those, those are the... Those are uh, stationary weapons that are used to, to bring chaos, right? Because of this, it was one of the most remarkable uh, military feats of all time, of history. But uh, the deciding factor and the reason why the Italians lost, because they, they were not supposed to lose, Something similar what's happening right now, like, like, right? Ukraine should have lost a long time ago, right? But they, they, they still, they're still in the fight. But the reasons why the Italians lost when they should not have lost was because at the time, there was something going on amongst the morale of the men. At the time, there was something with Italy and Germany going on where there was, be, there was an alliance being formed, and many of the soldiers were not happy with an alliance with Germany at the time. At the exact same moment, um, there were things going on with Mussolini that, that they were not willing to die. These soldiers were like, I don't want to fight for this guy. I don't want to die for this guy. And so what happened was, they were, um, when, when the battle came, a lot of them just broke and was like, I surrender. Take, take me. Take me. 170,000 prisoners. Take, just, just take me. I don't, don't want to fight for this guy. I'm not going to die for this guy. And they surrendered. They retreated. Discouragement was the key. They were discouraged with the conditions that they were living in. They were discouraged with their leadership. They were discouraged with what was going on in their country. And discouragement was the key to Britain, to Britain defeating the Italians. Today we enter into part three of our sermon series. Uh, summer series titled, God, Use Me. Many of us are asking God, to God, use me. What do I got to do? How do I have to live? What do I got to say? What do, where do I have to go? And because many of us are at the point in our lives that we want God to use us. We, we understand, because we've been talking about this, if you guys go back and watch all the sermons for the last year, we've been, we've been kind of getting to a place where this is not about me. This walk is not about me. This life isn't about me. I am here to serve a higher purpose, and that purpose isn't a selfish one. It's a divine one. 
And so when you get to that point, he's saying, you know what? I'm realizing that I'm not here for me. I'm not here for, for to establish earthly, or earthly things and material things. I'm here to serve him, to, 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 to be led by him for the expansion of the kingdom. I'm here to serve in that capacity. Then what do I have to do, God? Now tell me, how can you use me? What do I have to do? The first week we talked about we have to get to a point where we just need to say no more excuses. And many of us are walking around with excuses that we've held on to for years. That's just not the way I am. I know. That's why God will get the glory when he does what he wants to do with you. Because that's not who you are. That's what God's going to do with you. Excuses. It's time to say no more excuses. Part two, in week two, we talked about letting your heart be broken for the things that break his. It's getting to a point, a place in your life when you realize that the things that are breaking God's heart should be breaking yours. And when you get to a place, when you look at people and you say, man, ah, that person seems like they're suffering. A person seems like they're going through it. Instead of saying that person got issues and, and, and staying away. It's like, man, that person looks like they really need some, someone to love, someone to love them. And today, we look at part three, which is overcoming discouragement. You want to be used by God? We need to overcome discouragement. Amen? Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. Church family, discouragement is a part of life. Amen? I mean, has anyone ever been discouraged? I got one right here. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Has anyone ever been discouraged? Look around. Put your hand, look, look around. Because the thing is, many times we face discouragement and we think we are alone in discouragement. We all face discouragement. Some of us are discouraged right now. And you're in the right place because you're going to leave empowered. Some of us, we, you know, we, we face discouragement and we think no one will understand how I'm feeling. Discouragement is a part of life and it usually shows up when you're doing all the right things. That's the thing about discouragement. You know, it shows up when you're doing the right things and all of a sudden you get the wrong results. You get poor results for doing good things. And discouragement creeps in. You know? You, you know, you don't make any progress. You go to practice every week. Every day. You give it, you give it all you got, but then you still lose the game. Discouragement. Discouragement. Some parents will, 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 will do everything for their children. They, they, they spend the extra time with them. They, they put them in programs. They put them in sports. They put them in all types of things. And then their, their children rebel in a manner that brings discouragement to a parent. Like, what else do I have to do? Parents, don't be shamed about that. This discouragement creeps in. We all experience it. It's not something that... It's like taboo we can't talk about. Discouragement will eat a hole in your heart. 
Discouragement will make you want to quit. Amen? We know that. We all know that. Discouragement will come in and be like, you know what? I don't need this. I don't even want to keep doing this. I don't see it working. I don't see any fruit coming out of this at this moment. I don't, I, I don't see the benefits. How is this benefiting me? You know, let's be real. Let's be real. We say that. How is this benefiting me? Discouragement will make us say things that we shouldn't. As we shake our fists at God. God, I can't believe you. I can't believe you let this happen. I can't believe you didn't help me. I can't believe, forget you, God. This is that, blah, blah, blah. If you haven't said it, some people have because they've been so discouraged. God, how can you let this happen in my home? How can you let this happen in my marriage? How can you let this happen to my kids? I take them every Sunday. I, I try my best. How can this happen? Discouragement. Discouragement. This is how Jeremiah felt. As you guys know, we're using the life of Jeremiah to make these points as we go in this series. And Jeremiah felt just like this. Here is Jeremiah. God has called him to give a message, a strong message, a harsh message to a rebellious people. He was obedient, right? Because he did it. He was consistent because he kept doing it. <laughs> Yet, he was arrested. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. The Bible even goes to say, if you read the verses, the Bible even goes to say that they, they, they shackled him up in a way, right, that it contorted his body so that he would be in constant pain the entire time. Yo, that's, that's some serious things. I mean, they just didn't shackle him and leave him there. They twisted his body up, then chained him so that he couldn't unravel his body, and he was twisted in ways that was bringing pain to his body. Jeremiah was a man in deep, deep distress, in despair. He was enduring physical pain. He endured emotional pain, spiritual pain, all for doing the wrong thing? No, all for doing the right thing. Church, listen up. Everything that Jeremiah is enduring right now, he's enduring because God told him to do something, and he did it. Can I, can I tell you, because I'm going to rock some of y'all world real quick. Some people think that if things start to go wrong, it's because God didn't want them to do that. Can, can, can I say that again? Because, can I tell you again? Some people think that when things start to go wrong in their life, it's because God probably didn't want them to do that. Now, we're talking about people serving Right? We're talking about people that are, that are trying to be obedient, people that are trying to hear the voice of God, people that are, that are, that are saying, God, use me. Right? When things start to go wrong, 
We, we can't jump to say automatically that it's because God's not in it. Jeremiah was being obedient to God. And he was going through these things. And this is where God wanted him to be. Ah, some people are not getting that, Al. They're not, they're not hearing that. How can a loving God let us be in a state of pain? Now, now let, me get off, let me get off the notes for a little bit. Because this just, yo, this just came. This is right now. God is go good. This is God right now. Sometimes it takes pain for you to finally pay attention. We're not even going in the direction of the sermon. Listen, sometimes, sometimes it takes us to be so twisted up in our current situation, in pain, to finally be like, okay, 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 okay. I get it. I get it, God. All right. Let's come back. Today's focus is on Jeremiah's rise above discouragement. Jeremiah reminds us that a faithful servant of God can be discouraged. All right, church? A faithful servant of God can face discouragement. Okay? Jeremiah lived above his feelings. Is that, that's hard, right? Some, some people find that hard. Some people like to stay in their feelings. But Jeremiah shows us that he lived above his feelings and fulfilled God's word. We too can rise above discouragement. Now the thing is that you and I have a decision to make. Do you want to rise above discouragement? Because some people love to just be in that state. Oh, it's me. I'm so discouraged. Forget it. There's no point of doing anything in life. There's no point of trying. There's no point of going. There's no point of doing this or doing that. And some people just like to be there. We need to get to a point in our lives that we are not satisfied with that. And if you have friends like that, you need to be like, listen, wake up. Get it, yeah, get it together. That's the only time you can smack somebody. It's for their own good. <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> you have a decision to make. You can't stay here. We can't stay in this place. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 to 9. Jeremiah chapter, seven, verse, chapter 20, verse 7 to 9. Oh, Lord, you misled me. And I allowed myself to be misled. I'm, I'm, I'm reading it very poetically for you guys. You are stronger than I am, and you overpowered me. Now I am mocked every day. Everyone laughs at me. When I speak, the words burst out, violence and destruction. I shout. So these messages come from, these messages from the Lord have made me a household joke. But if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his words burn in my heart like a fire. 
It's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. Hmm. <laughs> the first step in overcoming discouragement is let's be honest. That's, that's it. Let's be honest. Jeremiah <laughs> was being honest. He was telling God how he felt. He was telling God how you listen. It's to, to, if we're gonna rise past discouragement, we gotta get to a place in our lives. We're gonna be honest with God. We're gonna tell God how we feel. When you start to feel discouraged, tell him you're discouraged. When you start to go through these things, talk to him. Let him know. Have that conversation. Jeremiah was honest. He's telling God, yo, you tricked me. You deceived me. <laughs> the, the word deceive means enticed or seduced. He's saying, Lord, you seduced me. You enticed me. You made, you made it seem like it was something else, and it's not. <laughs> In the bait and switch. You are, who has been enticed or seduced to do something that perhaps later you regretted doing? Right? Some of us have been enticed to buy things and realize, like, I spent too much money on this. It was definitely not worth it. Now with internet shopping, things look really good on the internet. Then you pay for it to then realize, oh, it's coming from China. And then it takes like four weeks to get here. And then when it gets here, you're like, this is not what I ordered. You were enticed by the, by the commercials, by the promos. You were seduced. You fell under its spell. You had to just grab your credit card or debit card. Jeremiah was feeling this. He was feeling regret. He was feeling depressed. He was feeling this at this moment. Now, we obviously, we know obviously that God does not mislead people. God does not trick people. That's not the God that we serve. But Jeremiah felt that way at that moment, and he shared it with God. He felt that God had lured him into the ministry, you know, with the little commercial, with the little rat, with the carrot. He, he felt like he lured him into the ministry and set him up to be the laughing stock amongst people. He felt ridiculed. He felt offended. Ever serve either in ministry or outside of ministry where you give of your time for other people, right? There's people that you guys serve in the community, in the community parks and farms, some, you know, like the urban farm setting. Some of you guys serve in different organizations in your schools and things like that. But, but for, if you've served people at any point in ministry or out, you are giving up of your time to help someone else. You are sacrificing your family time to be with someone else. You're sacrificing your relaxed time to be with someone else. And not only to be there, but to do things for them. Only to be made felt ridiculed and offended by those people that you were serving. The people that you were serving to be felt ridiculed. You know, that, that, that's, that's a very discouraging, discouraging feeling. And, and, and as, as, a, as, a, as a pastor, I know that feeling well. And, and it's, it's where you give up yourself 
day and day after day to, to people that you can see that God is really wanting to do something in their lives for them to only turn around to completely either ignore all counsel and then worse, not even ignore counsel, but then later down the road, you know, oh, you never there for me. You never helped me. Oh, this, you're a bad person, this and that, blah, blah, blah. It happens. It happens. And then we talked about that last week. I'm a bad person because I told the truth. It happens. But we need to rise above those moments. We need to rise past those moments of discouragement. <laughs> he felt his voice wasn't making a difference. He was crying out for the people, repent, repent. And they were not listening. Instead, they were laughing at him. They were laughing at him. He said that his words, when he would open his mouth, just destruction. And what was it? Destruction and, and uh, judgment. Violence and destruction is what was coming out. I opened my mouth and just violence and destruction was coming out. He didn't want to keep talking about that. He didn't want to talk about that. He wanted, maybe he wanted to talk about something nice. Maybe he wanted to talk about hugging trees, you know, and things like that. But the thing is, like, at that moment, he, he, God was putting words of violence and destruction in his mouth. And the people laughed at him for it. They ridiculed him for it. That sounds familiar because those are the days that we live in now. These are the days that we live in now. Do you know how many, no, I can't get into details. You know how many conversations my wife and I, we have with individuals and sometimes with people or groups of people that will mock us because of our stance to not bend on the word of God. We are mocked at times because we don't go with the flow of some things. Oh, but this is how, this is how everybody's doing it now. I know, I just don't see really God in that. No, but you see, but once you do this, and once people come because of this, then you can sneak in the gospel. Church, I have a big problem with that. Because the Bible says to lift my name up and I will draw man unto me. Meaning we are to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ first. First. And that is what will draw mankind. I'm not against events and things like that, but the events are secondary to the gospel. You understand? And we are not here to entertain people. We are here to educate and disciple people. But the world will say, oh, look at that church. They don't even have this. They don't have that. They don't do this. They don't go there. Guess what? These are the times that we're living in. And the sad thing is it happens in the secular world and even within the Christian world as well. Jeremiah's intense cry of grief and his sorrow was a private one. Let me, let me tell you what's happening here. This conversation that Jeremiah is vomiting this all up is a conversation that's between him and God. It wasn't put up on his Facebook account. It wasn't put up on his Instagram. 
It wasn't shouted out at the, at the, at the thing where you, you take a public platform and you say, oh, the church is horrible. God is horrible because he did this and this, which is happening. You see it happening. You see it. Anybody that has a Facebook, anyone that has an Instagram, anyone that has any type of social media whatsoever will see that people will go on social media at times when they feel misled the way Jeremiah did, where they feel hurt the way Jeremiah was, the way they feel uh, abandoned the way Jeremiah did. I mean, listen, these are real feelings. We're not taking away from the feelings. Jeremiah felt them too. But Jeremiah didn't go on a public forum and spit it out to the world. What good does that do the body of Christ? Nothing. This conversation was between him and God. So guess what? You're discouraged, you're upset, you're angry, then have that conversation between you and God. Talk to him about it. Please, if you're a part of this church family, please. I can't speak for the world, but for us, if we feel that way, we have a conversation with God. In internet world is not is that's not where we put it. That's not where I put it. Listen, you are damaging the body of Christ whenever you want to say, I'm so hurt by God. I'm so hurt by the church. I'm so hurt by this. Listen, you are not helping. Are you hurt? Yes, you probably are hurt. Are you angry? Yes, maybe. But that is not the place to put it. That is not the place to put it. Get on those knees. That's right. And go before God. if you even had a relationship with him in the first place. I'm sorry. Guys, you guys are distracting me. Stop it. You got to put out on the back over there. You got to put out on the back. All right. <clears throat> um, yeah. Listen, God wants us to talk to him when we're angry. He wants us to talk to him when we're upset. He wants us, he wants that conversation. Who doesn't want to know when their spouse is going through something, right? You, 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 you just want your spouse to like never tell you how they feel and then put it on the internet? No, talk to me. Let's have this conversation. You know, it, you know uh, he wants us to tell the truth. Okay. Psalms 142, verse 2 says, I pour out my complaints. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. David did not hold back. He's saying, I told God all my complaints. Some of us have more than others. Well, guess what? That just means you have to pray a little longer. Get on your knees and go down that list. God, this is what I'm going through. I'm not happy with this. 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 Numbers chapter 11, verse 14 to 15 says, I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Yo, Moses kept it real in case y'all didn't know who's talking right now. Moses is like, God, I can't do this. And if this is what you have for me, kill me now. Kill me now. Just take me. Just take me. Is that not a real conversation with God? That's not real. That's, that's real. That is real. 
He kept it real with God when he was fed up with the people that he was serving. He was fed up. They don't listen. I'm gone for a little bit. Come down. Look at all these idols. They don't listen. They don't stop complaining. <laughs> now, some people ask, and this is a good question. So if you ask this, don't feel bad. Some people say, but is it, is it wrong to be angry at God? Is it wrong to be angry at God? with God. First thing we have to do is we have to understand that anger is an emotion, right? Anger is an emotion. And many times, emotions are neither right nor wrong. Do you understand this? An emotion is just is. It's what you do as a result of that emotion that makes it right or wrong. Okay? We cannot feel guilty when we have emotions. Don't feel shamed or condemned by our emotions. We just, not, we just cannot be, especially a Christian, a Christian people, we cannot be led by our emotions. We will all have them, good, bad, ugly, whatever, but they cannot lead you. It's what you do. That makes all the difference. If you feel anger toward God, then take a moment, get on your knees, and have that conversation with him. Guess what? The God that we serve, he's big enough, strong enough to handle your complaint. He won't be offended. He's not going to call you back there like, you offended me, sister, when you told me how you felt. <laughs> He wants you to pour out your heart to him. He wants you to express to him what's in your heart. Didn't Jesus do this? Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? When he was there, he poured out his heart. Father, I don't got to do this. Or on the cross. Where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Right? This is Jesus he expressed his heart to the Father. We should do the same and not hold back when you pray. Let it all out. Let it all out. It's better that God hears it than somebody else. Let it all out. By pouring out these emotions to him, you are actually setting yourself free from the hold it has on you. Come on. You know how many? You, listen, I, I'm not, not anti Therapist or counselor, I really think that they, they do great work when you see a counselor, when you see a therapist. It's healthy because what it does is it gets you talking, speaking, opening up. It, it gets you telling whatever you've kept in here away from other people. You see a stranger, and all of a sudden, they know how to get those things out. And before you know it, you're talking about all the things that you went through as a child and how your dad left you in the snow and he didn't pick you up for like till 8 o'clock. <laughs> Some of you guys remember that story. If you're sitting here like, ah, I'll tell it to you later. I'll tell it to you later. Come and ask me. Come and ask me. It has traumatized me for the rest of my life. That's why, that's why a lot of y'all already know it. 
Um, <laughs> but in speaking to God at that moment, what you're doing is the emotions, the anger, the, the hurt, the, 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 all the things, that the emotions that you are feeling that have a hold on you, when you get on your knees and you start sharing it to God, it's like it no longer has that hold on you. You're starting to release the hold that it has on your life when you speak and you enter into that uh, intimate conversation with God. Because what happens is the more intimate you get with God, it's like, it's like an embrace. It's like he embraces you. He doesn't want us stuck in our feelings like we mentioned. He doesn't want us to pretend to be someone that we're not. When we go, why are we trying to fake who we are in front of God? When we pray, Lord, thank you for everything. No, he knows right now that you're like, God, please. Just be honest. Be real. Be yourself. <laughs> Bottling up anger never did anyone any good, especially when it's toward God. All right. You know, the truth is that God already knows your heart. He already knows everything that's going on. When we share those things with God, it's, it's, it's for you. It's for you. It's for you. It builds your faith. It builds your trust. It's not only liberating when we have those conversations with God, but it helps us overcome the discouragement. The second thing we do is to overcome discouragement is that we want to be obedient. Keep doing what he's called you to do. Keep doing it. Um, because of Pasher, now Pasher, if you guys don't know who he was, he was like the assistant to the high priest of the temple at the time, and it was him under his direction that they went and they arrested Jeremiah. It was him that had him beaten. It was him that had him, you know, twisted up. Inside. It, was, it was under his direction, right? And so because of the actions of this guy, Jeremiah was ready to let it all go. He was ready to, 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 to let go of God's message and keep God's name out of his mouth, right? He said, I want to stop, you know, speaking in Jesus, in God's name, right? He wanted to stop. He wanted to, but it says that he just couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. He didn't have any peace. He would not have any peace doing anything else. The verse says that God's message was like a fire in his bones that he could not put out couldn't be quiet about it. He didn't preach just to hear himself talk. He preached because he had something to say. And it was a message from God. You know why most people serving in ministry keep serving in ministry? Despite the rejection, despite the discouragement, despite the ridicule, despite the disrespect. Yeah, they get disrespected. Despite the anger, it's plain and simple. It's the call of God upon their lives that keeps them going. When you're called, you just can't ignore it. And the thing is this, we're all called to ministry in some form. In some form. Everything is a ministry when it's given, to, is when it's given up to God. Cleaning the temple, cleaning the house of God is a ministry. Teaching our children is a ministry. Going outside, sweeping the sidewalk is a ministry. 
when we give, when we, whatever we do, we do it unto God, you know, to, to, to be a representation of the love of God. It's a ministry. John 15, in the first part of verse 16, says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. That's what he called us to do. Now, this call first comes internally. It comes from inside, right? It comes from a result of the continued drawing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, it continues to draw you toward what that calling is until it becomes unshakable in your life and you can't run anymore. I know about that. You know, I was a teenager, and they were like, oh, you, God says you're going to be a pastor. I'm like, whatever, whatever. I do not want to hear that at 15. Trust me. Then you hear it again at 17. You hear it again growing up. You know, oh, well, now maybe you're supposed to do it because your dad's like, nope, I'm going to run as far as I can. Until the call becomes unshakable and you say, you know what, I will never find peace in my life until I do this. Submit and surrender to God. And then after after the Holy Spirit uh, draws you into a place where it's just unshakable and you can't run from it, in time, the inward call of God is reflected outward. I'm looking because it's going to be interesting, right? Reflected outward as the Christian community then confirms it. Crickets. Crickets. Let me explain this because many don't like this part. Let me give you examples. I'm called to teach, pastor. I'm called to preach. I'm called for missions. I'm called for evangelism. I'm called for outreach. I'm called to lead. I'm called to this. I'm called, pastor, put me. Put me to lead. Put me to teach. Put me to this. Which, by the way, we need leaders. We need teachers. We do. I'm not discouraging that. But it says in time, the inward call, inward call because, you know, they, they, they come with this, I'm called to do this, yet they don't want to allow the time needed for God to do the molding in such a way that you don't have to tell people what your calling is, that you don't have to force someone on what your calling is, but that by allowing God to mold you and spending time in him and as he's developing you and as he's preparing you and as he's, uh, as he's equipping you, that those that are by your side will see that the calling of God is evident in your life. This happens through submission to God, obedience to God, a desire to please God, and a commitment to serve. See, everyone that is called and that says, I'm called to lead, I'm called to teach, I'm called to this, sometimes they don't, they don't follow those four things first. All right, I'm going to bring it back. Let's get back to Jeremiah. Obedience can be difficult and painful, but remember that disobedience is probably worse, right? Probably, right? Jeremiah 20, 10 to 13 says, I have heard the many rumors about me. They call me the man who lives in terror. They threaten, if you say anything, <laughs> we will report it. Even my old friends are watching me waiting for a fatal slip. He will trap himself, they say, 
and then we will get our revenge on him. But the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. Before him, my persecutors will stumble. They cannot defeat me. They will, not, they will fail and be thoroughly humiliated. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. O oh, Lord of heaven's armies, you test these you test those who are righteous and you examine the deepest thoughts and secrets. Let me see your, your vengeance against them, for I have committed my cause to you. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for, my, for though I was poor and needy, he rescued me from my oppressors. The next thing he does is he's watchful. We need to be watchful and know that the Lord is with us. When we're dis- uh, overcoming discouragement, we have to be reminded that God is with us. He's with us. Jeremiah realized that he wasn't alone. He says, not only is he not alone, the Lord's with me like a great warrior, a great warrior. He was not on the losing side at all because he was going to win because God was with him. God would indeed deal with his enemies in his own way, in his own time. This is what bothers us because we want to see, we want to see results now, right? But God will deal with those that oppress you, those that are against you, those that, that are mock you, those, and they do it because you are preaching the gospel. God will deal with that. Don't, don't lose sleep over it. Don't be discouraged over that. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, and you got to keep moving forward. God is with you, and you're on the right side. You're on the winning side. Isaiah 41.10 says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Many times, discouragement will cause you to look inward. It causes you to look in, right? We look to the problem. We look to the circumstance. We look to, 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 to the trials and to the tribulations and to our frustrations. We look at and this is what we're looking at when we should be looking not inward but upward. Looking up to a God that has not abandoned us, a God that is with us, a God that is victorious, a God that accompanies us, a God that is a present tense God. He's here with us now. Come on, imagine the difference in your, in your life when everywhere you go, when the trials start popping up, you're like, oh, yeah, he, but God's right here. But God walks with me. He accompanies me, Right? When, when, when we remain consciously aware that God is with us, when the kids don't listen, you know, when they seem to rebellion, we're crying, God is with us. When the marriage doesn't look like it's in a good place, God is with us. When the job situation doesn't look so good, God is still with us. When our health is not looking too good, God is with us. And we still have to do our part too. Knowledge of God's presence helps us overcome and accomplish much. Despite discouragement, it will give us courage, valor, guts, strength, tenacity, and perseverance. Man, it almost makes you guys sound like you're not U.S. Marines a little bit. <laughs> I see you. I see you. I had to do it. You were here with us today. I got to throw it in there. Army in the house over there. Let's give it up for the army. (laughs) 
And over here with Chris Army too. Okay, amen. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> but it does make it sound like Marines, though, when you read this. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> living in the glow of God's presence, right, what it does is it enables us to fight on, to push on, to keep on going despite the discouragements. Fourth is that uh, we, we, we need to be worshipful and praise God with our whole heart when we are discouraged. When we are discouraged, we need to praise God with our whole heart. And what's happening is here is this. Jeremiah turned to joy. His despair turned to joy. His defeated attitude turned to triumph, right? And the dismay turned into courage. And the key to all that was praise. Verse 13 says this. It says, sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for I thought... For though I was poor and needy, he rescued me from my oppressors. He, start, he, he, he wraps, up, wraps up this part with a, with a praise. Do you know that praise is one of the weapons that we have in, in the Christian's arsenal, you know, weapons that you guys have that the enemy has no defense for? Satan can't do anything against your praise and your worship. Like, he can't. When you praise and you worship, like, he... He, he's got to move out of the way. And this is what you got. A lot of people don't understand this. You know, it's like you got you to gotta praise and worship your way through a lot of the, the discouragement that you may be facing. You got to make that decision to say, I'm going to praise and worship my God, even though I'm going through this. That's the key to breakthrough, church. That's the key. There's plenty of verses in the Bible that tell us to praise, right? The word praise itself is in the Bible 248 times and in over two, uh, in 216 verses using the King James Version, right? Psalms 135 verse 1 says, praise the Lord, praise him, you who serve him. Do we serve him? Then praise him. Daniel 2.20 says, he said, you know, this is Daniel speaking, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. Praise him. But praise is more than just acknowledging God for the good things that come our way. Praise is accepting God, <laughs> accepting from God all that comes our way, both good and bad. Praise we offer when things don't go our way is far more precious to God than the praise we offer when it's all good. Right? It's easy to worship and praise God when things are good, but there's something powerful about praising and worshiping him when things are not so good at all. I want to wrap it up with this. I want to close with this. Praise us four things, right? We, uh, through praise, we recognize God as our provider. Our minds are taken off of our own situation. You're praising him, right? He has the answers, he, 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 you know, he, he's in charge of, of, of it all. Like, you know, I, I may be lacking, but you know what? I'm not going to focus on this. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to focus on the Lord as I trust him that he will provide in the areas of my life that need, that I'm in need. Praise acknowledges that there's a plan. Just a few chapters after Jeremiah records these words, he says, for I know the plans, right? For I know the plans I have for you. 
He has a plan. We don't always have to see the end part. This, 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 and hey, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I want to know A to B. I want to know beginning, destination. Where am I going to go? And God's like, oh, I got you. Thank you, God, I know, but where? Oh, no, I'll take you. Okay, I, I, I trust you. I trust you, Lord. I trust you're going to take me there. But where are we going again? Some of us are like that, right? Like, just, just, just tell me. Just tell me where we're going to be at. Just tell me how long. Just tell me why. Just tell me. When we realize that God has a plan, you have a choice to either fight against it or embrace it. To praise in the difficult moments is to embrace his plan. Praise accepts the present. (laughs) It's a total and joyful acceptance of what is happening right now. And somebody, I can't be joyful about this. Hey, he has a plan. Be joyful in his plan. It's not based, our praise is not based on the hope for tomorrow. Our praise is not about what we will expect will happen later. Our praise is for who he is right now and how he covers us right now. Fourth, power, the praise releases the power of God. Psalms 22.3 says, and, and this is, says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabit the praises of Israel. Let me tell you something. God actually dwells in your praise. So for those that are, like, visual, imagine yourself praising, and all of a sudden God sitting on those words. Like right there, like he's just there. Like, check this out. You're going through something. It's hard. You don't know how you're going to get through it. You don't know what's going on. You're discouraged. You're down. And it says that if you are to praise the Lord, he will inhabit that praise. If you praise throughout your household, he will fill your house with the presence of God. Because he will inhabit your praise. God's power and presence is near those that will praise him. In closing, I want to say this. Discouragement is real, church. It's real. It's real. We all going to go through it at some point. Some, like I said, some of us are there right now. But we can overcome it. God wants to use you. As we overcome discouragement, what happens is you begin to align yourself and position yourself to be used by God. Because he's going to be like, all right. Look at that Marine that keeps pressing through no matter how hard it gets. Look at this. Look at, look at my daughter, how she continues to push forward. I, I think I told you all the story about the, the, 
master, gu master gunnery sergeant that uh, heard me complaining. That's not a good thing. He heard this young sergeant complaining about how I got assigned to all, I got assigned to all the, all our missions that we were doing and, and we were out in California playing war, right? It's like, man, there's other sergeants here. Why, why am I the one that keeps showing up on the list? I'm, I'm here all day. I take a little break, and I got the night ones too. I was like, I'm like, this is ridiculous. And he was in the other tent. You, 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 could, you could hear words through a tent. And he walks in, and he says, Marine, outside. I was like, oh, man. Everybody was like, ooh, right? He's like, let's take a walk. I said, Okay. He's like, let me tell you about the farmer who had two horses. The farmer was, he had two horses and he was, it's time to harvest. If he did not harvest it in time, as we talked last week, the crops will spoil, right? So the farmer has a deadline. He has to get things done. And so he looks at his two horses and he realizes that one of them takes his time and he pulls the plow like this and when he would put the other horse to work the other horse was like let's do it and was going into town with it it was only a matter of time when he looked at it he's like you know what I gotta put this horse to the side and I'm gonna use this horse so he used this horse in the morning he used him in the afternoon and he used him at night and he looked at me he's like Marine you're our good horse and that's why you, get keep, you, you keep getting assigned to lead our men. You feel bad after that, right? A lot of times, I see God doing that with us. Sometimes some of us say, God, give me a break. I need a break. And God's saying the harvest is plenty and the laborers are few. I don't got time for breaks. So don't be discouraged. You're my good horse, says God. And I got to keep using you. Many times it won't be easy to rise up above discouragement, yet it's possible to do it. Let's be honest with God. Tell him how you feel. Let's, let's be obedient and keep doing what he's called us to do. Let's be watchful and know that the Lord is with us. Let's be worshipful and praise God with all our heart no matter what. Church, please stand to your feet this morning. Man, God is so good. God is so good. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to me. I want to close, I want to close the sermon with reading from the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 13 to 20, and I'm going to read it. I'll read it fast. There was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house, and the messenger came to Job, and he said, The oxen were, were plowing, and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans raided them and took them away, and they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came. And he says, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone survived and escaped to tell you. 
And while he was still speaking, another also came. The Chaldeans formed three bands. They raided the, cam- raided the camels and took them away. Yes, they killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in, their, in the oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness some people think it was a, a tornado, right? Because it came from across the wilderness. And struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they are dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. Wait a minute, wait a minute. you telling me that after all your oxen were, ki- were taken from you and all your servants killed, and then all of a sudden all your, 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 um, your, your sheep were, were taken from you and those servants killed, and then all of a sudden your camels were taken from you and those servants killed, and then all of a sudden wh- you're telling me that all my children are dead? It wasn't as, a, listen, this didn't... It, The Bible is clear to say as he was speaking to let us know that it was right after another. Standing there, this is horrible. Then this is horrible. This is horrible. This is horrible. One thing after another. And some of us go through things back to back to back to back. We say, God, how can you let this happen to me? Cut me a break. But the secret was in what he did first. He worshiped. He turned to God and he praised. He gave God praise and he worshiped him. If anyone has the right to be discouraged, oh, it's Job. But he worshiped. He worshiped. And so my question is, how about you? What are you doing with your discouragement? What are you doing? What are you doing with your discouragement? It's time to make a decision today. It is time to make a decision today. And ask yourself, will I rise above this discouragement?